This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's secret word is historical revisionism. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Nate Crowder. Nate is a writer, a horror hound, jazz fanatic, part-time warlock, and the creator of the Cobalt City Universe. Glad to have you here today, Nate. How's it going today? It's going good. I'm happy to be here, Ben. Well, we always uh, start off by letting the podcast listeners know about the costumes that we're wearing. Of course, the YouTube viewers can see them. So yes. tell everybody what you chose to wear today. Well, this is a full-on classic uh uh, Canadian tuxedo, uh, the full the full denim look with the uh, nickel silver bolo, a little bit of turquoise in there. It, it's very very nice. Yes, it just uh, uh, I, I you know it's outside of my personal comfort zone, but I I went you know all out with you, so I got this denim. I just went with the denim vest yeah. over this heavy cotton shirt with the silver snaps, mm -hmm. and then uh, I got this belt buckle at the Calgary Stampede. Uh, so that's brilliant. Yes, over my blue jeans, you know, it's a, a lot, it's a lot of blue for me, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying. So, uh, yes, yeah. we, we are, we are, uh, very much in costume today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. And I love the buckle. One of these days I want to go to the stampede. I've never made it, but, uh, I'm from a rodeo family. So oh, you would love it. It is really yeah. fun. Like it is, you know, I'm not a rodeo person and I totally enjoyed it. it it's, it's, you, you can't really go wrong with that much entertainment with the clowns and the talent and <laughs> yeah. yeah, people know what they're doing. And it, it's great to see greatness, you know, at that level, like it's, yes. it, it is very cool. So I've been excited to have you on to ask about what has been going on since your last novel, Cobalt City Resistance uh, in 2018. What have you been working on since then? Oh, um, mostly I've been trying to, you know, stay sane and very unsane times yeah. Um, I haven't been able to do a lot of long writing, so I've been, you know, sort of chipping away at short fiction for my Patreon for Cobalt City. But that's uh, that's sort of evolved into a new cycle of linked novellas that that I'm working on. So I'm sort of working my way out of it. And then uh, in between that, things like, you know, taking care of houseplants and baking. Well, and I've had a couple of Cobalt City folks on. And yeah. so tell your uh, tell our listeners what Cobalt City is, because this is really cool thing you've put together. Cobalt City uh, started as a uh, role playing game setting. Maybe I want to say 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago uh, with myself and a bunch of friends. And as the game broke up and people sort of moved on, I there was one more story I wanted to tell that never really worked as a game because it involved everyone sort of splitting off and doing their own thing so i turned that into a novel so i basically wrote i wrote fanfic of my own role-playing game yes yes for 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 my friends and yeah. they loved it and they're like okay let's i want to see this and so i ended up developing that into cobalt city blues which was the first novel in the series and i've just kept writing and i've invited other people in to sort of play in the sandbox create their own characters play yeah. with existing characters and um uh, so yeah, it's been, I think next year will be 20 years of Cobalt City. 
And how, I mean, between yours and all the people who've written in that universe, how many books are there now in the Cobalt City universe? It's quite a few. If you're if you're counting anthologies, it's well over 30. Yeah. Yeah. So this has really developed into quite a fantastic, I mean, that, that and a community, which is always cool. You know, right? Yes. We need to support one another. So that yeah. that is cool. And it's, it's nice riffing on other people's ideas. I, I really enjoy there's a there's a character called stardust who was one of the original cobalt city characters and amanda who you've had on the show and eric scott to be you've had on the show have both kind of taken him and sort of spun him off in this other direction that i never would have foreseen and it's been great and it's yeah. been really fun to sort of to sort of uh, it's 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 jazz with writing yeah. you, know, you get to you get to respond to what other people are doing and put your own spin on things that's great and it's nice to not be too precious with that and let folks right. do what they want to do with that. I, I mean, I understand that that can also be challenging for artists to go, wait a second, this is my character and you're doing something different with them. But if you're willing, you can see people do really cool things. Yeah. And and for the most part, I think everyone's been very, very respectful of these are certain writers, signature characters that they don't really want a lot of other people messing too much with. Um, so we'll reference them. Uh, like I'll mention, I'll reference uh, Lady Vengeance or uh, Ruby Killingsworth maybe, but I'm not going to do more than like have them drop in for a chapter or something. I don't want to really mess too much with what other people are doing or do, or worse, do something, portray them wrong. So we sort of like, we'll share some of these things back and forth. Like if I write a chapter with someone else's character, I'll send it to that writer and say, listen, is this okay? Does this pass the smell test? If not, give me feedback. I'll fix it. Yeah. I mean, I think the key is, to, would this make a canonical change yeah. that would then re require you to do something different than what you're doing? If it's, you know, they make an appearance, but they don't actually, yeah. you know, they, they, somebody who had not read that other iteration could still, con you know, continue with the author's work yeah. with their character. I think you're you're golden. But, uh, you know, the, yeah. a, 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 a childhood of, uh, you know, reading comic books, uh, you exactly. know, getting to see people be respectful of other characters, people's characters, and, you know, not always. <laughs> oh no, what did this writer do with, you know, this other person's character? Because, you know, th those writers, they they sacrificed kind of the autonomy of the characters they create. Yeah. I know that in the 90s caused a lot of drama, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it is, you know, to be handled with care and respect. And, and that's the thing. We all respect each other and what we're doing with the characters. And some characters are shared more than others. Um, but, um, yeah, it's like, it's like the big two comic publishers. Mm -hmm. uh, Grant Morrison's Batman is going to be different than Denny O'Neill's Batman. And that's oh, fine. Yeah. And you, you just come to <laughs> right. expect that from from uh, what you're getting from those individual authors. You find the authors doing the stuff you like and you follow it. So it's yeah. been fun. Yeah. Um, so when you're, I, you know, it's a show about procrastination. When you are <laughs> not writing, what has been pulling you away in terms of pop culture life? Oh, man. Um so a little over a year ago, my partner and I started watching uh, Asian dramas. Like I'd watched this uh, 40, 50 episode series called King's Avatar, which is about esports in China. Oh, wow. And, and they'd watched this 40 or 50 epic piece, epic uh, historical fantasy called The Untamed, which uh, we both had liked individually, but we decided we'd make the other person watch our stuff. And that turned into basically a year of watching almost nothing but Asian dramas. Like this entire yeah. 2023, tons of Korean dramas, some Chinese, a little Thai, 
some some Thai uh, BL stuff, and it's just been it's been great. It's it's a whole other world of storytelling. Their their story beats are different. They have more time to expand on stuff, and it's just been fascinating. I've been loving that. What have you found to be the differences in terms of the story? I mean, because they still follow, you know. I don't want to say traditional Western plot structure, but they're working through their way towards a climax and that kind of thing. How are the beats different that, that you notice? I think most of it is they give the stories time to breathe um, and they have the freedom to give a conclusion. With American television, with Western television, it's always how long can the series run? We'll do the yeah. series and we'll do like 20 episodes or, we'll, or lately more like 12 episodes. We'll do a number of episodes and then we'll just keep going season after season. Right. Uh, with the K-dramas in particular, you'll get typically 16, sometimes 12, sometimes 20. Vincenzo was 20. Um, and they have a definitive end. Yeah. And you have the episodes are anywhere from an hour to some of them are like an hour and 20 minutes a piece. And uh, you have time to expand on this stuff. So you have eight episodes, like eight hours before you even get the first like real committed kiss and then like another half of the season is them sort of dealing with fallout from that and they're telling their family and their friends and stuff so it's the pacing is one thing um they they have a ton of tropes just like all like all right. good rom-coms have those rom-com tropes k-dramas have their tropes and so much so we have a, a bingo card that we check off and when yeah. someone gets a bingo we take shots of soju um but um it's some of the tropes are very similar to Western things. Um, but uh, I don't remember where I was going with this. Uh, <laughs> well, I've noticed uh, some of those in, you know, I'm, 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 I, I'm not a deep manga fan, but mm -hmm. enough to notice, oh, okay, these are, you know, in an anime, like what are the things that, okay, now we're going to have in the middle of a fight scene a flashback for an emotional moment. And that is okay in that, you know, in, in that kind of cultural milieu in a way that, you know, in in a, a, a American action movie, you would not go, and right in the middle of the action scene, we zoom in on the actor's eyes and cut away to what is their motivation. Right. Uh, and, you know, and so it's just an interesting way to say there is nothing, you know, inherently superior or inferior about telling the story in this way, but it is different. And noticing those yeah. differences is fun. And there, and there's certain things you just come to expect, like the eight different camera shots, slow mo of catching catching one other one on one another as they're starting to fall. And uh, it's like just oh look, slow pans, eight shots, eight different angles, very dramatic moment. But um, you you have that kind of time, and it's earned. So when you get to stuff, it's earned, and they have enough time to develop uh, all the other characters. So there's almost always a secondary love story. Sometimes there's a tertiary love story. We just finished um, What's Wrong with Secretary Kim, which is a couple years old. And there are four love stories that you got to see through to conclusion, yeah. you know, to different to different levels. But um, yeah, it's it's not just this very quick, everything set up and resolved within two hours sort of thing. And it's not this Sam and Diane moment of like, well, now that they've hooked up, it's, it's gone stale and who cares after like five, five seasons. So it's a, yeah, no, the pacing is, is really good and it's really self-contained and everyone's so pretty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
but it's also not telenovela where you know it's we want this to run for eternity and yeah. so yes there's four you know love stories going on but also one of those is not going to work out and that's okay because it leads to the next plot and it's gonna you know like this is moving towards a conclusion that is preordained yeah. Yeah. and i do like that i like the you know i was a big fan of uh, uh avatar the last airbender because it had an ending it like was so it good. clearly had an end and that was so and an ending that was so satisfying um and, and I think that's something we lack in, in a lot of Western media is that, and I think it's partially because it's these muddied interests of like, well, people like the familiar, they like the franchise. So if it's something's good, we're just going to keep draining it until it's dry, exactly. as opposed to having that freedom of we have a set story and this yeah. is the story we want to tell and it's going to run as many episodes as we want it to run. Um, and that's, I think that's a certain level of creative freedom that that leads to better product. It is interesting because it is, it's creative freedom by giving yourself limits. Yeah. Like, you know, instead of, hey, the freedom to run forever because the network execs recognize that it's making money, it's yeah. the freedom to say, no, we're done. Even if it's making money, even if it is a success, you've committed to this and then it will conclude. And mm -hmm. I, I find that far more satisfying as a, as a viewer, too. And and it's something that I think fits for me because I've looked at, you know, I've toyed with the idea of if I had unlimited resources to turn Cobalt City into a television series, how would I do that? And the idea of doing an ongoing, it's never going to end season after season after season is daunting. There's only so many, like, I, I wouldn't want to do like a comic book of some of these characters that would run for a hundred issues. I don't know right. what I would do with a hundred issues. Well, and I think uh, that's where it has to be. I, I think part of the the uh, uh, distinction is within that uh, sense you've got the kind of auteur this is going to be this person's vision and if yeah. you want to do the you know the hundred uh, issues of a comic book or you want to do the you know the tv series that runs forever it becomes owned by everyone yeah and there is no because there's no way one person can sustain that you know no. uh, in, in a in a high quality way without it starting to feel tired because they're exhausted <laughs> <laughs> yes yes that's exhaustion is a very real thing yeah so uh what about hobbies what's something oh no uh did i did i skip here uh what is a what's a what's a news story that's been pulling you away from your from your writing lately oh uh you probably heard this one a lot uh politics i'm a i'm a very political creature me been, too you're in you're in uh you know that that's you're in good company <laughs> i mean i've been politicized since i was a kid by you know Doonesbury and um blue mm -hmm. county comic books i've been uh, comic strips uh, and by the music I was listening to when I was a teenager and um, so I've always been very aware of politics and uh, uh, the writers are pulling out all the stops for politics this last season yeah. uh, it's been crazy and you never know what's going to happen next and I know I can't affect anything but there's I get a certain level of not safety or comfort certainly but knowing what's going on and being aware of what's going on, even though I can't fix it, uh, somehow makes me feel a little bit better and, and worse at the same time. Right. So, yeah. yeah, no, I, I found that, uh, yeah, that, uh, for me, it's that sense of, uh, you know, a, a big kind of turning point in my political, uh, uh, education was nine 11, uh, mm -hmm. because I found that, you know, as much as it was shocking and, and horrific, it mm -hmm. also, I, I felt completely unprepared because there was so much of the geopolitical uh, politics. You know, I, I knew so yeah. much about um, American politics and so little about the politics of 
you know, all these other countries. And it was a real wake up call that I needed to improve my political education, not because it would mean that nothing would ever surprise me again, but because when the next surprise happened, I would have some grounding in understanding the the kind of you know, what are the foundational things that are underpinning a lot of these movements right. of, of people and, uh, and and the values so that I wouldn't fall victim to kind of good guy, bad guy syndrome. Uh, yeah. Recognize that they're far more complex. You know, when we're talking about nations, even within every single nation, there's just as much complexity as any other. And it's not this nation wants to do this and this nation wants to do that. The people within are dealing with internal pressures and tensions. And learning about that has been helpful. I don't know if it's helpful psychologically. I'm sure my family would say spending all this time reading politics is, you know, also stresses me out and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it is I, it is a way of dealing with the anxiety of worrying that the the, the other shoe is going to drop and I will not know what's going on. Yeah, I, I think everyone wants to have an opinion about stuff and not everyone goes to the trouble to educate themselves enough about the problem to have an informed opinion about it. I like to would like to think that I have an informed opinion about stuff, but I also believe that I don't know everything. There's a, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I don't know, and I want to know more. I want to understand more about what's happening and how the world's going. And um, I, I also firmly adhere to the fact, to the idea that um, governments are not their people. Right. Um, people are wonderful. Uh, places are wonderful. Like I, for years, I've been wanting to go to Iran because the architecture and the people and the food, there's so much wonderful stuff in Iran. Do I like their government? No, not really, but I'm not real fond of ours either. So, no. you know, it's, um, and there's a tension there because the government is a product of its people to some extent, to an extent, like, yes. it is a, you know, and, and so I, I, and I, and I want a government to be a better reflection of its people. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, yes, I recognize that the actions of a government are not, you know, the exact same thing as, as the, the people it is mediated through a system that is always flawed and every government system is imperfect. Uh, and so it is not, you know, the, the, the people's will cannot be judged purely by the actions of their government. It, it's, it's, it's certainly influenced by more as a reflection of the people in power yeah. and the people who intend to stay in power. And I've always, I've always been a fan of the underdog. I, uh, I've always been a fan of the people and then the stories of people who are sort of laboring under yeah. a difficult system. Yeah. Who, who has been excluded uh, from exerting their will through the government. Excluded That's from the narrative. Yeah. Question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, to make, that... and honestly, from a writer's perspective, that makes for better stories too. Oh Yeah. Yeah, the, the, you know, the, the, there's this uh, there's this kind of trope that comes back every I don't know, you know, I mean, it never fully goes away. Where uh, you know, people are interested in lifestyles of the rich and famous, in the in the powerful, you know, in in the, in the kind of real estate porn. Let's look at the you know the folks who've got the giant houses and the fancy clothes and the you know kind of celebrity worship. And I, I think it goes back to uh, you know let's let's examine the royals, like it's yeah. you know it's that impulse. But you're right. Their stories are really boring. Like, you know, like yes, people living yes. in luxury are not as interesting. It's not relatable. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's why I think it's boring. I'm like, this is not my life experience in any yeah. way, shape or form. Like, I've never, yeah. you know, sat around going and for my third house, which horses <laughs> will I buy for the, you know, to, to you know, like that's not that these are not concerns that I share. 
Um, Stand-up comedian Kyle Kinane had this observation that it used to be that people like the lifestyles of the rich and famous and these these extreme wealth shows. But now the new form of, of uh, sort of like uh, identification porn is people with jobs, yeah. like ice road truckers like they they work really hard at something they get lunch breaks yeah it's like they have they have a stable career like that's that's the new thing it's like oh i'm i'm fixing up my house because my my house is falling apart that's the new sort of aspirational thing it's not being i mean and there are certainly people who are still watch the kardashians and who still watch um the real housewives who like that sort of drama but i think a certain part of that is look rich people are miserable too look how look how miserable they are right um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the, the police procedural was the 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 thing that preceded all wow. of these other, you know, like hey, let, we we have to you know always uh, create the 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 story of the police. Yeah, you know, mythologize the story of the police. Oh yeah, was, propaganda you know, has a lot to answer for. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and and then finally realizing, hey, we don't have to just tell the story of police at work. We could tell the story of other people who do other jobs that uh, yeah. you know maybe are not as problematic and still find yeah. plenty of drama and enrichment uh, in those yeah. other jobs. Whether it's whether it's true life um, docudrama sort of thing, or whether it's fictionalized thing, but yeah, the. Um, the fascination with when I was a kid, I was growing up in the seventies watching television. There was a lot of great detective style stuff. So you had like a Rockford files and you had Quincy who, while he worked with the police, sort of, he wasn't a cop. So you had these sort of people solve and, and, and uh, um, a little bit later murder, she wrote in Remington steel and right. writing. So you had a lot of great detective shows. And then after a while that kind of gave way to it's all police shows. Yeah. And that's a very different thing because historically, if you look at the numbers, police don't stop crime. And they don't solve crimes. Oh, and well, um, one of the things that uh, I, you know, I I live in Independence, a small town outside of Salem. So you know, it's a town of sixteen thousand people. And and uh, and my students, I teach at the high school, and my students have this very skewed view of big cities. And part of that comes from the cop drama. If you are regularly watching a show that takes place in New York City, and for the sake of the show, they must have at least 52 murders a year, yeah. it creates this impression that, you know, a city like New York City is just full of constant murder. Yeah. And I have to say to my students, you realize if, if we have two murders in a given year in our city, we have a higher per capita murder rate than New York City. And yeah. my students are just blown away. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, some years we have one and we're lower. And some years we have two and we have a higher per capita. You are not safer here than you are in New York City. It's because nobody sets a fictional show in a small town where in 52 weeks there's one murder. Or maybe this season, no murders. It's just not as dramatic. And right. so it creates this really skewed view that, you know, that big cities are dangerous and small towns are safe, which is not borne out by the data no. at all. For, for several years, the most dangerous place in the world, televisionally speaking, televisionally, I invented a new word, yeah. was Cabot Cove. <laughs> right. Like, like Murder, she wrote, was a small town and there was always someone getting murdered. Somebody was getting murdered show. every week. And that is and, not reality. Yeah. Like, and, you know, helping. But I I think with, you know, when you get 10 shows that are set in uh, New York, Chicago, L.A., it creates the sense that, oh, yeah, these are these are cities just rife with murder. No, most yeah. of the people you are seeing dying are fictional characters. Yeah, <laughs> like, you, yeah know, no, you, you get higher murder rates in in moderate sized cities and you know yeah. Tennessee and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Go to, you know, uh, small towns with uh, places with really lax gun laws. You're going to get mm -hmm. a lot more murder. 
And they're not mysteries either. They're like, I shot Jim because he stole the family Bible. Yeah. And also, which, which happened in my hometown. There was yeah. like one of, one of the murders that happened when I was growing up there was that I remember was like there was a dispute over the family Bible and it led to bloodshed and someone died. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a lot to that story. <laughs> oh, there's, there's layers I don't want to peel back. Yeah, there's I, a lot there's to a, be plumbed there. There's there's yeah, a reason I, I no longer live there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. So uh what about uh you know getting getting away from the news? Not that yes. there's anything uh, wrong with uh, the news, but uh you know I, I do know that I can I I have a tendency to bring folks. Oh down yeah, I don't want to belabor the news either. If you yeah. if you want to find that, you know where to go. So right, right. Uh so uh what about hobby wise? What's a hobby that pulls you away from your writing? Uh I used to be a big role player. I used to have at least one game going on a week, sometimes more, and um the pandemic that sort of slaked off a little bit, but boy, I've it's picking up a bit, and I love getting into a good game session. Um, I used to run games all the time, and I'm gonna start one again here in the near future. Uh, but yeah, role playing's been a, a steady, a steady hobby for me. I, then, I am jealous. I would love to. I have not found a game, and you know, it's finding the people. The it's the scheduling. It's finding the DM, the person who's the willing to put in all that time. Part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I have discovered Baldur's Gate three, which is allowing me to play Dungeons and Dragons without scheduling. That's a great. That's a great solution. <laughs> it's and, been really great. And they're they're especially. I, I know it sprang up really heavily in the pandemic, and I don't know if it's still around. I think to some factor it is, where you can find groups that are sort of aggregating on um, various services, and you basically you pay a small fee for for your dungeon master. You've got a game every week, and that's fine. I actually did that as a paid DM briefly when I was. I, I have a former student who's a paid DM. That's how he makes his living, and he's wonderful yeah. at it. You know, yeah. Um, and uh, so there's there's ways to go, but I'm I'm very fortunate in that I when I moved up to Seattle and I started, um, I started gaming. Wizards of the Coast created this game center in the university district. And they just had all these big game tables and they had open games to sign up for. And I ended up falling in with a group of people, some of whom I haven't talked to in years and several of whom I've been good friends with for over 20 years now. And uh, that's really sort of, well, I've been able to pull in a bunch of players that I like and a bunch of people I love gaming with so much so that I couldn't get all of them in one game if I wanted to. Yeah. So I, I can cherry pick and I'm like, these people would be great for this game. If they're interested, then I'll get this game going with them. And uh, if they're not, then I'll I'll do something with other people. But uh, that's just the fortunate aspect of being in this community. There's so many gamers up here in the Pacific Northwest. And yeah. uh, for a while, it was easy to find gamers. And from then, I just, yeah. Yeah, once you've got that community built, uh, that that is really wonderful to be able to. Yeah. Think, okay, and I, I know this person will enjoy this. And and now that we're now that I'm doing it exclusively online, I'm using Roll Twenty, I'm using D and D Beyond. It allows me to get people into games who don't live anywhere near me, yeah. and that's I, I was able to play the friend of mine from college who I haven't seen in person for over twenty five years. Uh, when the at the peak peak of the pandemic, and someone I went to high school with was running the game because he was play testing a, a system thing he was putting out, and it was great. It was it was it was um, yeah, it was a sort of artificial community, a, 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 a remote community to be able to play. You don't have to have people in your neighborhood. You don't have to have a table set up in a space. Yeah, it works out. But time is always the problem. Right. Finding the time for people to do it uh, is tricky. 
yeah, I mean, uh, you know, folks who have not played, you know, you're looking at an evening and it is the evening. Like it is, mm -hmm. you know, you know, uh, some folks are, are are good at limiting a session to two or three hours, but still that's, you know, that's a chunk of time every, if you do that every week. Uh, I've got friends who does it every other, and that's, I think, a real good kind of life balance thing. But, you know, even then three hours every, uh, every couple of weeks, it's a commitment. The, uh, the game I got in at the game center when they first opened. Um, I think we had at one point 10 players in it, uh, which was unmanageable. It was better yeah, that's, with that's like big. six, but 10 was 10 was bad. And, and usually it fluctuated between six and eight. Uh, we started at noon. We played till eight with a dinner break in the middle. And it was every Sunday. Yeah. And yeah. it was every Sunday, eight hours blocked out. Yeah. And uh, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. But um, yeah, I not, can't even you imagine. Know, I have to anymore. step back and say as much as, you know, yes, that is a big commitment of time you know there are people who watch two football games on a sunday it's mm -hmm. the same amount of time like so you know it it, it is just prioritizing but yeah. uh but you know it is it's 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 a it's a commitment and it's, it's, it's a commitment it's a to other people if you say i'm not going to watch those football games no one is harmed right. uh if you say i promise to you know show up and play this game and then you're not showing up there are other people who are affected so it's a commitment in that way too yeah, it's best to find a time that works for everyone, even if it's only like three hours and you just set that aside on a regular calendar yeah. day. The people I used to play with on every other Sunday night, when we stopped playing role-playing games, we play board games now. Yeah. And we play Board Game Arena, we play Carcassonne every other week, a little bit of Ink and Gold, a little bit of uh, uh, Wonderful World, just hanging out with the same people, just doing something different. Yeah, yeah. And that that is wise. Set that time aside so that it's not, yeah. Um, so. Okay, so you know role-playing. So oh, yeah. as a way to help readers get to know you off the page, if you were yourself a Dungeons & Dragons style character, if you were, you know, uh, in, in that the Wizards of the Coast kind of world, uh, what would be your race and class? Okay, specifically if I was in a Dungeons & Dragons world, uh, I'd be a dwarf cleric. Yeah. And why so? What, what does that reveal about you? There's there's something about the stoicism of dwarfs that I've always been drawn to. First character I ever created when I was, oh God, I think I was 12 years old, 13 years old, was was dwarf. And I've always sort of been drawn to that sort of stoicism and that sort of grittiness of dwarf characters. Uh, as for clerics, I think they're undervalued. Uh, most people think of them as walking bandages, but they can hold their own in a fight. They can wear the heavy armor. Yeah, they've got spells, but you can use those spells in creative ways that are more than just, oh, I'm going to cast heal on the party now. Right, right. Um, so there's there's a flexibility I think is overlooked in a lot of people. And no one wants to play a cleric. Um, so I can always, I can almost always find a slot in, a, in a, someone's game and, and fit in as a cleric if they need one. So yeah, yeah, that's so. Okay, you're a dwarf cleric. Yes. And you've been ambushed. <clears throat> So you've yes. been ambushed in the woods, three level one goblins. What do you do? Well, given that we're in the woods and there's nowhere for us to go get a drink together, and they and and frankly, you said they ambushed me. They've started it. Uh, first one it gets within arm's reach gets smote with a hammer. And, you know, the, hopefully that will cause the others to go, this isn't wise. Yeah, uh, I, it's, I, it, hopefully it makes them a little more risk averse. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so we're going to go to our ad break, but when we come back, I'm going to ask you what you've been daydreaming about lately. <laughs> okay. Special announcement time. 
Notify Publishing has always been committed to helping authors and readers find one another. Well, the show, which is all about helping readers get to know writers, just hit a milestone. 10,000 views on YouTube. So to celebrate, instead of charging authors to advertise their books on the show, I'm going to run your ads for free throughout 2024. If you want to make a 30 to 60 second video about your book, let folks know what it's about and where to find it. And don't forget your name and the title. Uh, I'll run one or two of those in our ad spot each week. Just send an MP4 file to the Notapipe email address in the show notes. Let's fix up some readers and authors into reader relationships. 2024. More readers, more writers, more books. Okay, welcome back, everyone, and welcome back, Nate. So, when you've been daydreaming lately, what have you been daydreaming about? Oh, oh, that's a complicated one. Um, my life is full of people like myself and my partner who would just love to spend the rest of our lives making weird stuff, like whether it's art or writing or something. Uh, but we've got bills to pay. <laughs> and uh, late stage capitalism is just sort of strangling creativity out of the world. And uh, I've been daydreaming about the um, that sort of freedom of, of having some sort of sponsorship, some sort of way to, to either make a living or be supported uh, just enough that I have that freedom, that we have that freedom. My, and my friends have that freedom to just create, just yeah. to make stuff. Yeah, I, I I have been thinking about that a lot myself, and it it is there's this you know uh, tension between there are ways that I could make money to support my uh, my my writing, but every one of them that I think of takes so much time that it would you know it's like oh I would I would no longer have my day job which I actually enjoy I do like being a teacher mm -hmm. so that I could do more writing ostensibly but really in order to support it I would have to take on this project that would pay the bills that means I wouldn't get to do as much writing and so figuring yeah figuring out how to manage that I mean you're right it is it's the it's the cap you know late stage capitalist structure that is the problem yeah I, I see these people who are like you know burning their candle at both ends and working heavily to get these jobs that pay them over a hundred thousand a year and to sustain these lifestyles that fine i mean that's great if that's what makes you happy that's never that's never made me happy what what makes me happy is having the freedom to create and i just need a job that will pay me enough to put food on the table to right. keep the lights on and give me time to and, and not overburden me mentally so that i Yes. When I have time, I can just, I can write and I can do stuff with it. Yeah. That was one of the, I was talking about with my partner where, you know, she was pointing out that there are, there are things I could do other than teaching that would be, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I could do uh, freelance writing, uh, for example. And, and I was having to explain to her if I, you know, that, that absolutely works for some people. I know people who ghostwrite that kind of thing and it funds their own writing. It would not work for me because I would be so emotionally exhausted from right. writing somebody else's stuff all day that then I would not, you know, be able to put that work in, uh, you know, to my own writing in, in, in the evenings. And so, yeah, yeah it, it, it is finding what works for you. Uh, but yeah, yeah for, that, for 15 years, not... I worked as a copywriter and uh, yes, it was writing, but it was also a very different kind of writing. So I kind of got to keep that stuff sharp. And then when I had my own time, I was able to this sort of like charge me up in order to make the most of the time I did have to write. And I, super productive as a yeah, writer yeah. during this it, time, so. I mean if it works for some folks I, I you know I've got friends who do ghost writing where mm -hmm. you know the, the client comes along and says I need you to write this business book or I need you to write you know my 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 memoir my autobiography kind mm -hmm. of a thing uh and 
you have to be willing to say, hey, no matter what the project is, I'm going to do this writing that I, you know, kind of detest yeah. so that I can get to my own work. And, you know, within limits, I mean, I'm sure there are situations where they would turn away clients, but by and large, you're saying, yeah, you know, I'm going to do this thing. And I, I would find that so draining, you know? Yeah. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and sadly, a lot of those other other like side hustle jobs that you could use to sort of help support you. A lot of those seem to be drying up and going the way of uh, AI. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's getting harder and harder to find those sort of writing adjacent fringe jobs because people with money decided it was easier to not pay people and just have a computer do it. Well, and I, it does make me wonder about the, in the long term. I expect we will get to a place of a UBI. There are already places that are experimenting yeah. with universal basic income I think we will have to at some point make an adjustment uh, to, you know, if if there are robots and computers that are doing the work, then you have to say, and the companies that are profiting from that work must pay much higher taxes and support the people who are no longer doing those right. jobs. And yeah, that that's free us up to then be able to be creative people. Uh, the, so that's that's the, the long term, but that's the hope. That's that's the weird the weird corporate bottleneck that I, I don't think they've ever figured out that boondoggle they've ever figured out is like if they if they outsource all the jobs to save money by having robots do it having computers do it uh minimizing how much they're actually able to pay people then that money's not going to the economy and people aren't going to have the money to buy those goods and services buy their stuff yeah great you've yeah. got a robot delivery service for amazon but you've gotten rid of the people who would then be purchasing the things right. from Amazon that the robot needs to deliver to. So yeah. at some point you have to have an economy that, uh, that, that, you know, sad. And, and the great thing about a UBI, the, the places where they've practiced with it is there's this kind of conservative myth that, you know, it, that if, if people are given money, they will cease to work, that you are yeah. incentivizing idleness and that they will turn to crime and drugs and blah, 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 blah. And it just is not true. Yeah. If you give people a, a basic income, they either continue to work because they, they, you know, for our own mental health, we like to be active, uh, but they don't have to do jobs that are miserable. What, you know, they can right. choose what is the thing I actually enjoy. And, and we find there is a diversity of the things people enjoy. You won't just have everyone saying, I guess I'm going to just pick up a guitar and start a band. Like, right. We'll do a whole lot of different things, which is wonderful. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, there, I understand there's a certain part of, how they're going to have problems they're going to have problems hiring dishwashers because no one wants to wash dishes um and they can't necessarily automate that and those are lower income level jobs for the most part so if if you're able to make a living doing the sort of lower income level jobs and you get the ubi so you don't have to do those jobs so much of our society is built around forcing people into doing that labor by holding that carrot over their head right which really is, I mean, we need to, you know, kind of recognize the morality of holding, it's not the carrot, holding the whip of starvation over yeah. their head, holding the whip of houselessness. Yeah. Like, if that is how we're incentivizing people to do certain jobs, what does it say about those jobs? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's. Uh, I don't know, I don't have an answer for it. Uh, I do love the UBI idea. I would love to see it sort of brought in because... Um, 
like we call it late stage capitalism for a reason. It's yeah. because it's near on the end of the road. There's only so far we can go before everything breaks. Yeah, this is not sustainable. It is not I think sustainable. that's one of the things that makes me pay so much attention to politics is the you know there are things that will break down and mm -hmm. when you study especially i was uh, teaching my students about the great depression and you know the the cause of the great depression is this hotly debated thing because there is no single cause there yeah. was a lot of fragility in the system and a whole lot of bad things happened at once yeah. and the more you study our current you know like it's not global climate change you know, by itself, it's all these different factors will, you know, potentially break. And if one of them breaks, we can weather it. And yeah. if more than one break, it starts to be, you know, this, this uh, really uh, problematic system. So yeah. I know that seems like it's a long way from how can we sustain ourselves to, to, to make ourselves creative, you know, provide <laughs> ourselves the space to be creative. But I think the two are related. The two are related. And you have this, you have this misperception of, and a couple couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, they had the the economy's great. Look at the all, all the economic indicators. The economy's great. And they're pointing to the stock market. And the stock market is not the economy. Right. The stock market is rich people money. Yeah. That does not reflect the fact that stores are like jacking up their prices to to take advantage of this perception of inflation to make record profits. Yeah. Um and and it's not it's not reflective of any of that stuff. And then you have the venture capitalist whose only model is the arrow has to keep going up. Right. Buying uh, investing in failing businesses and squeezing every last penny out of them, investing in places like Patreon and Spotify to sort of squeeze out of every last dime out of creatives. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's not um, at, at a certain point. Like I, 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 I'm on Patreon. I don't know how much longer I'll stay on Patreon at this point. Right. I don't know how longer it's going to be sustainable. I know so. a lot of folks have gotten off a of Substack because I, I got off Substack myself, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's gross. I mean, it's, you know, what what is willing to be tolerated to make a dime, make it, you know, yep. make an extra few bucks, um, because I cannot imagine that the 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 for folks who don't know what ended up happening is some uh, some you know really overt you know out nazis like these were people yeah. who were like i am you know clearly a white supremacist they then used uh, substack as a mechanism to uh to to spread their white supremacist garbage and substack kind of went okay and you know, their money spends as well as anyone else. Right. <laughs> and and so they were willing to tolerate, uh, uh, you know, th th that being part of the platform. And, you know, while I understand the kind of the I, I have heard the argument of, hey, you know, we need we need to let these people, you know, make their uh, their argument, uh, at, you know, in a free way. Uh, I feel like I, history shows if you give folks the streets, they don't give back the streets. This is the, you know, the poppers paradox of tolerance the par exactly paradox of tolerance um or or exemplified by by the punk bar philosophies in the 80s of yes. when you start letting the skinheads in then it becomes a punk bar it yeah. becomes a nazi bar yeah if you let one nazi in your bar it's a nazi bar now you yeah. cannot let that and it's i mean it really is true like and i think maybe it's, it'll be interesting to see the extent to which our country is learning that lesson like, you know, they, they, it, will it take the demise, essentially, of the Republican Party to be able to point to it and say, see what happens if you let a Nazi into your bar? If you let a yeah. Nazi into your party, your party becomes a Nazi party. And this we have really seen this happen. And I, I think there's a there's a certain historical blind spot for a lot of Americans, because 
I love history. I've been a history, I've been a history buff forever. Uh, I have a real problem with how history was taught, especially when I was growing oh up my gosh, and, yes. and how it's taught in a lot of other places. And there's even in Germany, they, they, we, in America, we talk about German propaganda during the world war two. And in Germany right now, they're talking about American propaganda, oh, selling yeah. this American exceptionalism sort of thing. And we forget, like, we're not taught that prior to world war two, like in the thirties and even up into the forties, there were a large number of people in the United States we're not only eh, about Hitler, oh, no. they're like, no, he's he's he knows what he's doing. A plus. Oh, yeah, there was a there was a senator who was on the payroll of the Nazi Party. Uh, who mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't know if you heard. Uh, Rachel Maddow had this great. She has a great book about that right now. Yes, yeah. it's fantastic. And there was so much where I was like, how was I not taught about this in school? Like, this, you know, why, this... why were we not shown those pictures of the the Nazi rally in Madison Square Gardens? Yeah, that was packed to the rafters. I was never taught about that. that yeah, was just you know, there was okay. Here, here, here's this, you know, leaping around through history, and then you know, the the good guys went and fought the bad guys in Germany. We just want to highlight the ways in which we're great, and we don't want to talk yep. about our moral failings, of which yeah. there are many. Oh yeah, well, and and I think the more you start, and I, I. The more I study history, the more I understand some of the the resistance to allowing people to study real history. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you go, oh, and the more I study, the, the, this foundation is at the rot. I mean, this rot, you know, the, the, this is a, a rot at the very foundation of this country. And it's mm -hmm. not just the the racism, <laughs> the stealing right. bodies and land, uh, which, you know, that that, that is sufficient. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I, lately I've been learning about the kind of history of the our commitment to firearms as you know the the foundational the, the one thing we will never legislate against for yeah. a reason and you start to go oh yeah this is our you know our international power like yeah it is it's disturbing yeah. um yeah, and, yeah and you know i i understand that 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 urged not to necessarily whitewash history but to be careful about how you teach some of the bad stuff in history because I mean, who wants to who wants to go to school and get bummed out, you know, right. all the time? But at the same time, you can't fix things if you don't acknowledge the problems. And I think it's empowering to say to students, "You can fix this. Yeah, you can make this better." That need not be shaming and and right. creating guilt. And you know, in in fact, the opposite, saying, "Hey, everything is you know, the, the American dream creates this society where everybody has equal opportunity, and if you don't take advantage of that." completely fair and wonderful meritocratic system then the failing is all yours that's actually abusive that's worse wasn't it wasn't it steinbeck who said that uh the average american is just a temporarily embarrassed millionaire yeah or, or I, so, i'm I paraphrasing that of, greatly but in an effort to not embarrass people you know and, and bump people out in our in our false telling of our history we've done the opposite where we've said you always have to side with the billionaires because yeah. that's you know if you really believe in the american dream you're going to be one yeah and that's a yeah it's a you're right it's a different kind of propaganda that that sense of like anyone can be president and then you see 2016 is like oh shit anybody can be president <laughs> right? yes yes <laughs> but also not really anyone yeah right? not really so anybody you are someone with a lot of money there, it really helps <laughs> yeah yeah so uh so okay, uh, what do you want? I, I want to make sure that I get to this. <laughs> what is it that you want readers to know about what's going on in terms of what's coming out from you soon? 
Uh, what's coming out for me soon? Uh, in April, I'm dropping two anthologies that are coming out, not anthologies, uh, novellas that are coming out from DEFCON 1 Publishing. Uh, it's a series, there's going to be a series of four novellas set in Cobalt City called The Mad World Cycle that are uh, standalone, but also sort of linked to a larger story. Um, I set up The King in Yellow as sort of like this extra dimensional big bad on, in, in Carcosa, sort of trying to influence the madness in the city. And it's just time to pay all that off. I, I set that up decade plus ago. And so now we're finally going to start seeing the end game in action played out in a couple of small vignettes. So yeah. So I, this this might you know uh, challenge the conceit of this show that I'm asking a process question, but I am interested. <laughs> when you're working with something like Cobalt City, do yeah. you find how do you kind of find that balance between saying, "Hey, reader, this is Cobalt City. You know Cobalt City," or "Hey, you might be new to this universe. And this is what I need to let you know about this universe, so this book could stand alone and make sense." Yeah, that's the trick. Um, I know these characters so well. Right. <laughs> but the other people I work with know most of these characters really well. And I sometimes fall into that moment while I'm in the process of writing of like, oh, I know what Mad Jack does and what their powers are and you know what they can do and who they are and where they come from. No one else does. Right. Unless you've read X story right. or X book. Um, so inevitably there has to be a second pass for me to go back through and like, okay time for me to explain the basics it's a city in new england that has a lot of superhero it is it is the it is the center point for superhero activity in the world that's where they all go uh here's some of their traditions they've been around since they've been heroic since the revolutionary war here's some of the big story beats here's some of the big element beats and uh here's the individual character you need to know right now yeah uh, you don't need to know the whole world. It's like comic books. When I when I was 12, when I was picking up comic books, I didn't know about the bottle city of Candor when I picked up an issue of Superman necessarily. Right. Uh, if I, I I got the pieces I needed when I needed them. Yeah. Uh, because ultimately, all of these stories, they're about people. It, it's not about these huge world-spanning, world-destroying megalomaniacs. All of my stories are about people. Yeah. And as long as I'm approaching it from that perspective and giving people the what they the information they need to know about the stuff and i'll drop tidbits and mentions of other little things little little seeds if they want to go follow down those trails and find the other stuff that's great um but uh everything should be self-contained because it's all focused on that one character and we understand it's a modern world people understand the modern world there's enough superhero media out there they understand the concept of superheroes it's like not every not every superhero movie needs to be an origin story anymore like yeah. if I see if I see if I see Martha Wayne get shot one more time, I'm gonna lose my right. mind. Please, do we? Yeah. It's like move on, drop yeah. him in and sit you. It's a guy in tights. Okay, yeah. I can work with that. With um, clearly needs a lot of therapy and has chosen instead to punch people. <laughs> in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so one of the things that I uh, we do via the show is I always do a weekly poll. Actually, I shouldn't say I always do. When I remember to post it, we do a <laughs> weekly poll. So what would be your uh, your question you'd like to kind of ask the universe for your, okay. if you had a weekly poll question? I uh, I used to be a little bit of a candy nut. Uh, I, I, I used to blog about fringe candies, like weird off can individual uh -huh. localized candies. And uh, since I got diagnosed with diabetes or, or pre-diabetes, I don't do that as much anymore. Yeah. But I am fascinated about this divide, chocolate or caramel. And and this is presuming not both. 
Presuming not both. Yes. Which way? Chocolate? People seem to love chocolate. And uh, just from the sheer flavor thing, I I mean, I kind of get it. There's good chocolate. There's bad chocolate. Uh, There's bad politics for chocolate, but I'm not going to go into that. Right. But then there's caramel and it's uh, it's its own thing. And um, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm more of a caramel person myself. It's not for everyone. Yeah. yeah, that's that would be an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. Where you come I, down? I, that I, I will hopefully remember to post that one. <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> if it were one or the other, which if would, it were one or the other. other, would that be revelatory? Would there be a you know a percentage of the, the the readership who'd go, yeah, you know, really, I admit, I'm more of a caramel person. That's, yeah, yeah. What's yeah? What's that? And that's and then like chocolate can have caramel in it too. Caramel can have chocolate flavors in it too. But that key signature, that core element. Yeah. What is more important? The chocolate the, the most. Yeah. Uh, okay. I will, I will, I'll, we'll run that one up the flagpole. We'll see how that one goes. Uh, I'm curious uh, how that answers. Yeah. So, uh, so what is in your to read pile right now? What, what are you looking forward to checking out? Well, it's interesting because it's, uh, we kind of touched on this earlier. Um, I've had this book. It's, I've been trying to get into for a while and I just never found the time and 2024 is the year. And it's called uh, The Way We Never Were, American Families and the Nostalgia Trap. Mm. And it's by Stephanie Kuntz. It's nonfiction. Um, I'd say more than half of my reading tends to be nonfiction these days. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a great look at, um, you know, that sort of idealized 1950s of like the nuclear family and all that stuff and how that's a myth that we tell ourselves right that's 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 ignoring a lot of the actual factual stuff that happened in the background and uh it ignores like oh well these planned subdivisions and such like this where we yeah. move people out and dad has a three martini lunches and mom's dope to the gills on a on yes. a valium and or, spousal rape is legal and spousal uh, rape is legal you know uh 40 000 black men were being lynched like this and, was and, not and wonderful and, and this, for everyone and this planned community suburban dreamtopia was was sort of it was a government program to help finance people but there was redlining so that was yeah. not a dream available for a lot of people that yeah. was a white dream and so it's it's this this fictional past that people are trying to idolize and, and lionize and want to go back to never existed yeah. And, and, and it's interesting to think how much that myth influences our modern politics. Right. And, you know, and oh, if I'm we just could just go back to this thing that never existed, then right. everything would be fine. That never yeah. happened. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it wouldn't. And if we went back, you wouldn't like it. No. <laughs> it's no. really atrocious. Yeah. 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 yeah, there was like there was, there was, there was, there was couldn't find Indian food. In the show notes, because uh, yeah, folks should check that one out. Oh yeah, it's um if you're I. I'll admit I have I have a, a soft spot like a little niche for this fascination for history and history revisionism and this this sort of understanding for the, how we the spaces we inhabit and how we inhabit and perceive them. Yeah. And um the past is just it's full of that. It's yeah. like it's it's not the Donna Reed show. It was not yeah. the Donna Reed show. It was never the Donna Reed show. Right. It's as, it's as, it's as fake as Main Street USA and Disneyland. Well, and, and and we know that about our present. Like if somebody were to say, we are all experiencing the world of the Kardashians right now, that is our day-to-day experience. We would go, right. no, it isn't. I recognize that I do not live the life of, right. you know, the Instagram influencer. And yet 
the, the that was you know the the the, the product of uh, of Madison Avenue of the fifties. We've been taught. Oh no, that really is the way life was for right. most people. No, it's not. not no, at that's all. a margarine commercial. So right. that's not reality. <laughs> yes. No, I'm I'm, I'm going to steal that line. I like it. It really is. It, it was often a margarine commercial. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Sell, selling you something that we'll find out in twenty years will probably kill you. Yeah. Yes. Um, so where can readers find you when they are online, when they're looking to check out what you're working on? Oof. Um, well, I left uh, Substack, obviously, because of well, Nazis. And I'm no longer on Twitter for, or X uh, for the same reasons. Yeah. Um, I am, however, on Blue Sky as Nate Crowder uh, and Nathan Crowder on Facebook and um, on and as Bebop Diablo on Instagram. And I spend, tend to spend a lot of time on Instagram. I'm one of those people who will show useless like here's the sandwich i had it's raining um <laughs> and it's 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 nothing deep it's nothing heavy i enjoy instagram because it's it's just this little snapshot of an ordinary life and i kind of love that um i do have a blog at nathancrowder.com though it's really neglected right currently and uh, on patreon i've got tons of my short stories up on cobalt city short stories on patreon um, and that's for folks who don't know Patreon, it's a way that you can directly support artists. So, right. you know, I encourage you to check out Patreon. I've, I've, there are a handful of Patreon folks where I'm like, you know, at the end of the month going, oh, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm contributing to all these artists. And yeah. it's actually really cool. It's, 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 a, it's, a, yeah. it's a far more, you know, of all of my expenses, they are the ones I am happiest about. So, yeah. <laughs> so and, check, and, out, and, uh, check out Nathan's uh, Patreon. That's a good I've one. got some that I support where... I don't know. I don't really necessarily care that much if they produce content or not. I, I'm okay with that. I'm just giving them the money, like a yeah. dollar a month, to help support them on their dream, and a dollar helps. Right. And so my structure is, you know, for a buck, you get access to all my short fiction, just PDF yeah. downloads. You can read all of the Cobalt City short fiction that I wrote for, and there's at this point several dozen of them. And then there's for a little bit more. There's other like weird ephemera that I produce yeah. and such. But um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a nice it's a nice way to sort of know what's going on in Cobalt City and familiarize yourself with the world. And, you know, it's, it's fun stuff. That's I great. only do like a story a month, if that. So, yeah. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And so yeah. folks, make sure you uh, check that out. If that sounds like, you know, hey, it's a buck and you get a whole lot of content. That's a, that's a pretty good deal. But uh, <laughs> it's also just a way to uh, to support Nate and kind of celebrate his work. So, well, and yeah, just familiarize yourself with the whole world that you might actually enjoy playing in. So, yeah. Um. So, uh, who else should I, who would you recommend would be good guests to have on the show? Oof. Um, well, the first group of people I would suggest are people you've already had on the show or who I know will be on the show in the near future. So we'll skip those entirely. Uh, um, I, first person I'd probably think of would be uh, uh, Gemma or Gemma, probably Gemma Files uh, in Canada, uh, who wrote the, the extraordinary novel, ex uh, 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 experimental film. Mm. Uh, she's written a bunch of other stuff, but experimental film, one of my, one of my favorite horror novels in the last huh. decade or two. I've not uh, read that. I'll check that out. I have this, uh, love for forbidden and lost movies. Mm. And, um, this is definitely a little horror story that kind of falls down that rabbit hole of, film that was not meant to be seen but it's being seen and what effect that's having on people and it's just it's top notch um uh also another canadian uh, writer uh also a game writer is erin dembo uh she'd be a great guest um she's been doing this for a while and has turned out a bunch of really fun stuff across 
short stories, poetry, essays, oh, okay. uh, novellas, and a bunch of great game content. Uh, she'd be she'd be great to have on. Um, finally, um, Wendy Wagner, uh, who's, who's down in Portland. Uh, she's uh, associated, I want to say it's Nightmare Magazine, but uh, has written some great novels as well, like Deer Kings, which is a great slice of Pacific Northwest Gothic. Yeah, I, uh, I just finished a book of hers like two weeks ago, and I loved yeah. it. So yeah, I, I should get her on the show too. She'd be great. I, uh, I became friends with her, so I internet friends with her, uh, on Twitter years ago, I think when we were, when certain anthologies were being bandied around like uh, Rigor Amortis, which was a, a, a zombie, zombie porn anthology, and uh, Cthulhu Erotica. And I, I sort of like came into her orbit there, and um I met her. I finally got to meet her in person at uh, World Horror when it was held down in Portland several years ago. And she's just a fabulous person. She's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the the, the folks in the Portland scene who know her, uh, I, I've met her only a couple of times, and you know, just like she just seems like a wonderful person. But I did get to read one of her sci-fi novels, and I oh, which one? It. So uh, the uh, the one the um with the dogs of an oath of dogs. Oath of Dogs, yeah, that's a so good. good. Yeah, I really was very impressed, and so yeah, I, I am. Uh, I'll have to reach out to her and get her on the show. She would be. Great. Oh yeah, she'd be fun. Uh, but yeah, I'll reach out to those other authors as well. That they sound like good picks. Uh, so there's some folks I have to thank before we get to our kind of final advice for for the listeners. Uh, uh, thanks to uh, artist Max Oakland who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro song. I prefer the dusk. Let Max know you like it by following him on Twitter at Max Oakland with three D's. And thanks to Halizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. Uh, if you're in a band and you'd like your song used on a show, I'd love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song. So email me about that. Uh, thanks to Doug, the producer, for making this show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. And I cannot forget to mention Writers Not Writing is a production of Not A Pipe Publishing. So please go to notapipepublishing.com and check out the amazing books written by writers who didn't procrastinate too much. Uh, and if you like this show, rate and review it wherever you found it. Please check out Nate's Mad World Cycle. It's dropping in April. Uh, tell a friend about that. Uh, and, you know, go to the Patreon. Uh, support Nate there as well. Um, every it, it makes a big difference for authors to, to have that support. So uh, I'm sure that would be uh, greatly appreciated. <laughs> Uh, and uh, similarly, I'm too old to say smash that like button for this show, but if you could gently tap on the little thumbs up there on whatever app you're on uh, or on YouTube, that would be really appreciated. <laughs> or smash um, it if you like. I mean, if you want to smash it, that's not my, yeah, I, I, I don't judge how hard you want to hit your <laughs> keyboard. That is that is up to you. But uh, yeah, there, there's, there's this weird circumstance where there is somebody out there who always downvotes the show. Uh, and it's, you know, it throws off the numbers if nobody then counteracts that by upvoting it. So please, you know, click on that that thumbs up. I would I would appreciate it. It seems like an odd thing to to downvote, <laughs> to keep coming back right? and downvoting the show. But, uh, you know, I mean, people do what they do. And you know. mm -hmm. uh, but but if you could make up for what people do, uh, listeners, that would be really appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> so, OK, uh, so Nate and I have some things we want you to remember just as our, uh, you know, as you're moving into your week. Nate, what's your advice for everybody for this week? Uh, don't be afraid to be adventurous and curious um, because you could always find some new media or some new food or some new experience that you didn't know existed before that could be your new next favorite thing. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm going to follow up on something that we had talked about, about kind of uh, our, our way of understanding politics. But I think it goes with that idea of being curious. 
I'm going to encourage listeners and, and viewers, find something you're wrong about this week and admit yeah. it. Admit you're wrong about something. It goes a long way and would go a long way in our politics, too, for people to acknowledge error. Um, and then no matter what, no matter how much you procrastinate, remember, we're still proud of you. I make of my mind.